Hello and welcome to Triathlon Science, the podcast presented by Tri Mechanics Coaching, hosted by me, Dr. Tom Hughes, former medical doctor, turned running enthusiast, turned triathlete coach, turned PhD student, turned I'm not really sure what I do anymore. I'm currently doing PhD research at Lee's Beckett, so we'll go with that. So today's episode is all about injury. It's all about the commonalities of the approach to injury and how we focus a lot on diagnosis, on trying to differentiate things, but actually if we do all the common practices, how that can actually uh, essentially do most of the work for us. So I've got a really uh, important announcement actually to make in that today's podcast is sponsored. So we have a sponsor for the first time ever on the podcast, which obviously makes us sound really professional, which is really good. So the today's podcast sponsor is not a triathlon product. This is uh, sponsored by Black Cat Roasting, Coffee Roasting. Now, I came across Black Cat Roasting through the Coffee Forums UK. So I got chatting to David, who runs the roastery. And I learned, or he helped me learn a lot about roasting the coffees that I was trying to roast at home. He was extremely helpful in offering advice. But at the same time, not only has he been supplying me with green coffee beans for me to roast at home, but he also supplies me with some of his special coffees um, that he roasts. And that's given me a real opportunity to not only find out what these coffees are probably supposed to taste like when you roast them properly, but also discover some of the more unusual tastes and flavours that you can get from coffee. So if you're into coffee, one of the most important things you can do is get good quality coffee. And I'm afraid that goes beyond buying the more expensive coffee at the supermarket. And it also goes towards the machinery or the the equipment that you might have. It's a bit of a fallacy, I think, that people think with coffee that you have to have a ridiculously expensive espresso machine. Because if you have a ridiculously expensive espresso machine, you have to have a ridiculously expensive grinder. And you have to have all these different factors, which mean that actually, at the end of the day, unless you are wanting to drink fantastic um, espresso or flat whites, you actually might be better off choosing a brewing method that is far cheaper But also, with quality coffee, you can get an incredibly good tasting cup of coffee without spending a huge amount of money. So Black Cat um, Roasting, Black Cat Coffee, they sell the actual brewers as well and things themselves. So you might get something like an Aeropress, which makes a fantastic cup of coffee. Again, if you know how to use it properly, if you've got a grinder that you can grind fresh, bearing in mind that for Aeropress and for pour-over type grinding, so a pour-over is something like a, a V60, if you come across that, where you essentially make the bed of coffee in inside a paper filter and pour the coffee over it. Um, what you can actually do with those is that you don't need to necessarily get a ridiculously expensive grinder. You can actually get away with a relatively cheaper hand grinder that might cost you anywhere between 20 and 50 pounds. It'll actually do a relatively adequate job because at the end of the day, that'll get you far further than spending a huge amount of money on um, the uh, really expensive equipment and not knowing how to use it. So the link to Black Cat Coffee will be in the show notes. Today I'm drinking a coffee from theirs that is a, a Chinese coffee. It's really interesting actually, very um, fruity with a little citrus edge. It's one that I think I've probably mentioned um, possibly on here before. This is actually one that I've roasted myself, having copied um, what the, the kind of roasting profile that, that David at Black Cat used. So check those guys out. They're the only sponsor on the show. They probably will be the only sponsor. So there we go. Okay, so on to today's show. So today is all about running injury. I'm going to taking these shows, these ones that are coming out now, are going to be a little bit longer. We've gone back to the more the older style of recording for now. 
hopefully with better sound quality from using the more studio equipment than opposed to me just talking to an iPad. Because I sent out I sent out those podcasts with this idea of finding out whether I still wanted to do the podcast, but also whether people actually want to listen. And from what I've been told so far, people do want to listen. So I've tried to start off, obviously got rid of a lot of the old podcasts, that some of those are going to be picked out from the archive and, and put back on because I felt like they were they had good material in them. But what this actually gives me the opportunity to is is reevaluate and start off from where I want to start now. We are in the midst of a very strange time. Um, I don't think anyone, well, we never have gone through this. We obviously have never gone through our, a pandemic really in our, our lifetime. Not one that's affected us so deeply and that has obviously affected us for, for so long. Where There was, there was um, the risk of that happening with things like SARS and MERS and various other infections that were starting to spread, but luckily they were kind of headed off. How deadly is this is still obviously up for debate. It causes a lot of problems, not only deaths. Deaths are a really bad way of looking at things because just because someone dies, they may have had other health issues, which obviously become a, a debatable point now in terms of the numbers. But this is actually affecting a lot of people for a very long period of time after they get it. And particularly young, healthy people are also being affected in this way. So we're in a situation where we need to we needed to try and control this so that we can vaccinate. Part of the reason why we do that, and I'm sorry that obviously this is a triathlon podcast. I'm sure you've heard so much about coronavirus, but hopefully, with a little bit of my background, I I can hopefully offer maybe some slightly different perspectives. So I do like to talk about it. One of the reasons why, one of the rationales for for trying to stop the spread is because at the moment we're rolling out a vaccine which is very specific for this virus and particularly the way it's currently set up. Obviously we've had this change in variant that has increased the ability to transmit to different people but hopefully and we don't think so far that has changed its response to the vaccine. However there is a variant that has been identified in Brazil I believe that has changed a mutation which will change how it responds to a vaccine because it's changed how it responds to antibodies. This is the fear. This is the problem with increased spread. You get more mutations, and these mutations are going to do this, whether we like it or not, and it's now happened. So what we have to do is we have to understand that this isn't about following rules. This is about being sensible. Being sensible is not going into other people's houses at all, ever. You don't need to do that at the moment for any reason. You need the social interaction, then meeting people outside, staying your distance, or even, unfortunately, using utilising the internet to be able to do that. That's something we have to do at the moment because we have to reduce the spread because we have to make sure that when we roll this vaccine out, it works. Okay? So we're obviously in a very unprecedented time. So how does that link back to today's programme? Well, today's programme is about running injury, but it's with a focus on what you can do at home without the need to seek medical attention. Because at the moment, that is going to be a real problem. Yes, you can probably still, well, you can go and still, still see your GP, but you're probably not going to be able to safely go to potentially a physio. I think there are still, physios are still open, I believe, as part of the essential care. But a lot of people are not going to do that. But also at the same time, the thing that I'm talking about today is that whether we are overly reliant on things like diagnostic tests like MRI scans, because at the moment, you're not going to be getting those done. Potentially in private care settings, maybe, but actually through the NHS, 
Hopefully that's not really happening because I think we have to divert our resources elsewhere. But the key question here is do we need to do that? Can we actually not only start the rehabilitation of any injury ourselves, but actually at the end of the day, when rehabilitating an injury, all we're really trying to do is help and support the body to rehabilitate that injury. We're not trying to fix it ourselves outwardly by doing things like um, treatments or anything on those side of things. What we're trying to do is just help the body along. So why is this focus on diagnosis? Well, partly because it reassures people that they're doing the right thing. And that is not a bad thing. I remember the thinking back to when people started going to the wind tunnel for aerodynamics in cycling. And I remember people going and they spent hours there and they came out with absolutely no gains. I remember them being quite despondent that they found no gains, but actually they found something else. They found that whatever they were doing, whatever they happened to have come across, whatever the comfortable position or the position they thought was aerodynamic, turns out it was. So it's a confirmation. So often tests, well testing should be used to confirm what you think is going on rather than as an investigation to dig around and see what's going on. Because the problem with musculoskeletal tests, things like MRIs, is they're going to probably pick up other things. If you scan the legs of any runner in particular, but also as well other sports, you are going to find some significant problems or things that you think are problems that have never caused any problems you're going to find inflammation in certain tissues because that is what happens now whether that inflammation is is chronic whether it is just an increase a sudden increase as part of the overload response i don't think we're completely certain on whether we can identify those changes so exactly and that's why it obviously it takes a specialist eye to look at that and identify whether something is a, a chronic change and something we may have to try and address or whether something is just an acute change as a result of actually doing the exercise. But you've got to bear that in mind. So today's episode again is focused on the what you can do to kind of rehab or essentially what you can do that to kind of get yourself 90% of the way there and then see what happens. Obviously trying to get you over this time period where we might not be able to actually intervene and do anything more specific. So The first thing, the first rule I kind of have when it comes to injury is stop. What I mean by stop is not stop doing anything completely, not bed rest, not that side of things. What I'm talking about is stop and evaluate. Pain, injury, something that is giving you feedback can be a real tool to understand what's actually going on. And you have to stop and listen to what's happening. Listen to the pain, listen to the feelings you're getting. Listen to what that pain is trying to tell you, where it's coming from, when you get it. So another really important thing or something that can be really, really useful when it comes to this is keeping a really good diary. So a really good kind of pain diary or a diary of your training in relation to that, when the pain came on, what it felt like. Because not only is this very useful to keep things tracked for yourself, but can be extremely useful if you go and see somebody. I've often seen, in over, seeing over a thousand runners with various injuries, I've seen a massive range in how people record these kind of things. I've had people that have sent me prior to the sessions pages and pages of 
notes around it happen at this point and when this happened and this happened and this happened and that's fantastic it gives you so much information not only does it help that process but it also helps you then explain back to them why those things are happening when they're happening which means the ongoing rehabilitation is far simpler because they actually understand what they're doing why they're doing it and how they can alter things based on what the feelings they get so think about pain is it can be misleading both sides in that it can be misleading when it's acute because we have this kind of, you know, think about it, what is, you know, if you're trying to run away from something, you're going to want to try and mask the pain. The hormones, adrenaline are trying to mask the pain so you can get away, which often means people, when they get injuries, they can still train and they do train and they, 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 they work their way and they kind of power their way through the injury. And that's not good because they think it's gone away or they think the pain isn't there, but it's being masked. Another, obviously, side of things is they often take painkillers, which is another point that I want to discuss later. But that's part of that mechanism that we try to mask the pain. And the same goes is that acute pain that then becomes chronic can become a real problem for rehabilitation. So what I find with most athletes, and if you think about yourself in regards to when you've had an injury, they underemphasize acute pain. They say, I can just work my way through it. I can just run. I can just get over it. And they overemphasize the chronic side of things, which is often when they're doing the exercises and the rehabilitation, any niggling issue or pain or feeling, they overemphasize and think that must mean they're either doing it wrong or that things haven't gone away. At that point, that kind of chronic sensitization to pain is not necessarily real, shall we say, in terms of the tissue damage, but also can be really inhibitory to how we rehabilitate. I can't count, I can't even tell you how many times I've had people come back in over kind of months and they're still saying the same things of, I stopped doing the exercise that you gave me because it hurt. And even though I had explained that it is going to be quite uncomfortable when you do eccentric loading of an Achilles tendinopathy that's not very happy. But unfortunately, you do have to work your way through that discomfort because it is that loading that enables or helps facilitate the tendon to heal properly. If you just sit and don't load it at all, it actually doesn't heal very well. Not only does it not heal, um, it heals slower, but actually might heal in a way that is not um, the scar tissue, the way it's laid down is not conducive to onward performance. So actually loading and early loading can be actually quite an important element of rehabilitation, not only to speed things along, but also to actually get you to rehabilitate. It might be that actually if you don't do anything, that actually nothing changes. And very interestingly, so at the moment I've got a disc herniation. It has been a problem that's been on and off for about 15 years and is at moment is it a very acute stage after I believe I've herniated it more or something happened to it about a week and a bit ago when I was throwing my son around at the park obviously he weighs about 15 kilos twisting and throwing him is quite an arduous activity for my lower spine and I think the twisting motion may have caused a bit more damage suddenly I'm in a lot of pain I'm getting symptoms down my legs I'm getting symptoms that show that the nerve has been involved very interestingly I was reading a paper yesterday that showed that when you get an almost an acute damage to the disc, your rehabilitation is often much faster than if you get this kind of chronic bulging and not actual 
the kind of essentially the disc stays intact and there's no leaking of any fluid because it is the leaking of fluid it is the inflammatory the sudden inflammatory changes that stimulate a response to heal so we often talk about inflammation acute inflammation chronic inflammation we don't really understand exactly what we merely mean by them what we kind of think is that acute inflammation is actually a good thing the acute damage that's caused enables a good thing in terms of the rehabilitation should i say is that it's obviously not a good thing that something was damaged you, you know you'd have acute inflammation if you've been stabbed but you wouldn't say that was necessarily a good thing however that acute inflammation is what helps heal you but the chronic inflammation is a very different thing. When we're talking about chronic inflammation, we're talking about things like heart disease that is epitomized by that chronic inflammation that is not the same response at all. What is that? Is, is essentially that chronic inflammation is chronic long-term changes that are happening as a result of micro damage, small amounts of damage that we're not really healing. And we're, again, we're very good as a body to deal with acute damage, i.e. acute inflammation. We suddenly get a response. You know, you can see how it happens when you cut yourself or where you have a scab and it heals. But we're not particularly good at changing or re reforming that chronic inflammation that goes on over a long period of time. It's almost like it's so dull that we don't really notice or at least we, we sort of our body seems to ignore it. So that inflammation is really important. So listen to it. Listen to the pain. Let things swell and let things um, essentially don't ice, don't compress, don't elevate, don't do any of the rice protocol at all. It is utter rubbish. It was designed almost to, basically it was designed to try and get people back on the pitch. It was designed to, to essentially mask things. Like we've been saying, it's not a good thing. And in fact, actually all those things that are designed to slow the inflammation process down are going to hold you back in terms of recovery from the injury. It's an almost a guarantee. And the same goes with things like ibuprofen. I have said to every single person that has ever come to my clinic, who's ever had an injury, that one thing you must do, and I've preemptively said this because it got to the point where people were saying, oh, I can manage it okay if I take ibuprofen regularly. Do not take ibuprofen. Two massive reasons. One, it causes problems with the gut. We know this, it causes increased gut permeability and that's called non-physiological. It doesn't, it sometimes gut permeability changes based on the microbiome and various other things in terms of foods and things. And we view that as physiological and that actually that's part of the normal gut process. However, ibuprofen does it non-physiologically in a damaging way. We don't know how much that's going to damage things. We are essentially that has been relatively recent discovery and we're starting to look into that now. But it's a very good reason to avoid ibuprofen as a drug. The second reason that's more applicable to this situation is that it will slow down that inflammatory process. You do that initially, like my back, for instance. When I was in agony last week, my wife kept on saying to me, I know you're taking paracetamol, which is what I was using to control the pain, but you really need to take ibuprofen because you're not really functional at the moment. And I get her point. I totally understand her point. However, I knew that if there was acute damage there and acute inflammation, I wanted it there. I wanted more inflammation to bring in, because part of the study I read yesterday, exactly that was it all about acute inflammation. So how do you actually increase that in a good way or increase the blood flow? You heat you don't ice, you heat, heat, heat. Heat is your friend when it comes to an injury. If you can heat that injury again and again and again, I mean, if you can sit in a sauna for a part of the day, fantastic. 
But if you can use a hot water bottle, a heat, a heat pad, anything you can do to heat that region or keep it moving, keep the blood flow going without overloading it, because that's the thing about heat. So we're talking going to talk about things like movement, increasing the blood flow, increasing that and being able to help basically heal things, but movement is going to potentially require loading, which potentially might make things worse, so it has to be managed. However, heat is not going to do that. It potentially might make things more uncomfortable, which I guess, or essentially not make things less comfortable, which is what the whole icing thing is. But in my experience, often when you have these injuries, there are often a element of muscle kind of tension trying to hold things together, which is a good thing. So don't stretch that. Another, another good thing, don't stretch. I don't agree with pulling on the end of a muscle when it tells you it's tight. It's not telling you it's tight and needs to be stretched. It's often telling you it's been overloaded. It's often telling you that it's done. you've done something it doesn't want you to do and it's slowing you down. It's the other muscles around it aren't working. It's not telling you that it needs to be longer and weaker. That's for sure. However, sorry, that was just a little bit of a side. I had the kind of thought process going off into the distance there in regards to stretching. Um, so don't stretch, apply the heat, um, and that'll help those muscles relax. Those muscles are tense because they are trying to stop you moving too much, to stop you causing more damage. It's there for a reason. Every signal you're getting from your body is there for a reason. Don't mask it. Don't diminish it. Think about what it's doing and try and facilitate it. So increase the heat around it and do it regularly the more regularly you do it the better so for instance with my back so i'm going to use this as an example now the problem with the back is that it's not exactly that it's not um going to be the same and i'm talking about this as a generalization of injuries it's definitely not going to be the same as maybe achilles injury but actually a lot of the processes that are going on the acute phase the inflammation they're, they're the same so the same rules will apply so what did i do so after monday after being in agony, right, first thing, I knew heat would help. Hot water bottle. I've been using this hot water bottle almost, I'd say, probably for the majority of the hours of the day, I've had something hot on my lower back. And it has not only helped in terms of pain and movement, but everything started to relax. And a week later, just over a week later, so it was last Monday when I did it, I'm now able to move around without significant pain. I definitely can't articulate my lower spine the way I normally would. I can't flex and extend, which is a good thing. I'm obeying what my body is telling me. It's telling me it doesn't want to do that. And that is a good thing because by flexing and extending with a disc that is protruding, it will increase that protrusion. So at this initial phase, that is definitely not something I want to do. My body's telling me not to do that, or at least it's actually actively stopping me by having tension around that lower spine that stops me articulating in that way. But I'm getting heat on there all the time. I'm using that to allow me to move lots and allow me to actually load the area just enough but not too much. I'm not going to run because running will provide a compressive force that is probably too much to deal with. When it comes to running and injuries, there is no such thing as a run that is recovery. That's the first thing. No such thing as a recovery run because re running will always load the body more than two times your body weight, which is a significant load. There is no way of getting away from it that running will always load the body and the load the tissues. And it will probably always load it in the way that is too much in an acute injury. So you must stop running. But there's something else you can do. And that is walking. Walking doesn't load 
with the same amount of load because of the fact that you are changing your foot essentially you are kind of stiffening up and are you are essentially instead of running you're still creating that recoil and that bounce that is part of running you are pivoting over that foot and it is very different the loads are much much lower and most cases when it comes to lower lower kind of limb injury the amount of load reduction from running sorry from when you go from running to walking is the right amount to provide a stimulus to recover but not an overload from the running so replace all your running with a nice gentle walk don't become sedentary but also at the same time, yes, you can do cycling. So yeah, you can replace all your running with cycling. Bear in mind that you do probably need to do some loading. So do some walking, do some weight bearing when you have a running injury. What about support structures? What about using something like taping to support? There is good evidence that it helps, but potentially not the way you think. It doesn't necessarily help because of the supportive nature of it. It probably helps because having tape stuck, particularly your... Um, kinesiology tape which has got the kind of ribs on it because it stimulates the skin and that seems to increase your control of the joint through what's called proprioception if particularly if you are taping around a joint but also seems to potentially increase flow potentially lymph flow a lot of those things are debated whether you can do that through taping but the evidence seems to suggest that it does help um, with that kind of sensation that may actually help you control the movement and it may help you um, not do further damage as, as badly by allowing excessive movement, particularly around a joint. That being said, you must not use taping to allow you to get back to your sport to do what you were doing before. You mustn't use it again as a mask, as a facilitator for that. It really isn't useful in that respect. However, if you are struggling in terms of that end rehab, but the evidence suggests that, or you know, the markers suggest that actually you are healed, you do need to get back into that sport, then there is a potential role for it really. And it's not really a placebo, it's more of a, a confidence side of things. And it does seem to work in that way. It gives some people confidence, particularly if they've had things like uh, turning their ankle and various instability issues that having a bit of tape on there but again it potentially could be this the fact that, that having that bit of tape on there increases their control because it increases the the essentially the nerve kind of sensation to the skin that sends back into the brain that actually helps potentially control that joint so there is that evidence there so those are the kind of basic premises so you get basically moving early have a little bit of heat or a lot of heat as as often as you possibly can avoid those painkillers and use paracetamol if you need it but avoid ibuprofen then as i say keeping a nice good quality diary and something where you can log what you're actually doing so that when you can you can keep track and also that helps you keep track of the future because part of the benefit of an injury and this is something i just want to end on a few benefits of injury is they do allow you to reevaluate what you're doing whether you're not doing the the prehabilitation the core stuff all these bits and pieces that you actually need to do this has shown me with my disc herniation that i've i've had issues with my back for 15 years ever since i deadlifted and caused a significant herniation about 15 years ago but also at the same time i've got very long legs and long legs need a very strong core and back. That's just how it works. I've got massive amounts of weight. My leg weight is so ridiculous that when 
we were doing isometric tests at Beckett and we had to measure the weight of your leg um, and use that as part of the, the calculations. They couldn't quite believe how much my leg on its own or it seemed to weigh in relation to the size I am. I'm only around 70 kilos and I'm six foot tall. Yeah, I have these gigantically long legs, which is the majority of my body, it seems, and the majority of my weight. Therefore, I need a ridiculously strong back and core to control that. But I haven't done the work that I probably should have done. Yes, I might have been doing a bit of deadlifting recently, and actually, potentially, a little bit of laziness movement on that deadlift might have actually caused a bit of herniation that, that led to this then happening fully last week. But at the same time, I need to, I've always found that I need to do movements around that. I need to be throwing a kettlebell around. I need to be walking with a kettlebell dangling on one side to increase the control around my spine. And I haven't been doing that. I've chosen other things. I've, I've neglected the things I need to do. So this is a reminder that not only I need to do that, but I need to change things. So use that. Use an injury as a way of telling you to stop, slow down for now, reevaluate to see where you're going to go from here, addressing your weaknesses and find areas that you can build stronger. And that's not just the injury, can often give you time to really evaluate whether there's other areas that are potentially weak that just haven't gone yet. So injury is definitely not the end of the world. And it's not the end of the world at the moment when we may not have access to or an ability to have things looked at straight away. Don't worry about getting an MRI. Don't worry about getting the diagnosis. Start rehabilitating yourself with movement, with that heat, uh, thinking about or essentially really paying attention to what's going on. Don't ice it. Don't compress it. Don't try and control that acute inflammation. Let it happen and give yourself some time. Nothing's happening now. The pandemic we're not going to be really, we potentially might not even be racing this year, I would have thought. We've got an audacious vaccine rollout program that might not come off at the moment. We may have more mutations. Don't think about this year as being, I've got to be ready for this thing that might not happen because we're not going to be racing till maybe May, June, July, later on in the year at the least. Sort things out now while you've got the time. Take it easier. Take it easier over winter. Do the rehabilitation. Keep that consistent, and I promise that at the end of the day, you'll come back faster as a result of this. Thank you again for listening. Again, once again, our sponsor is Black Cat Coffee. The links will be in the show notes. I'll also put the link to the coffee that I was currently drinking today, the Chinese, I think it was Lafu. I think I think it's Lafu, um, and it's excellent. It's got a real kind of slight fruitiness. Slight citrus, but definitely not overpowering. Tastes really, really good through a small amount of milk, if that's what you do. But again, I would have a look on the website. If you want to get into good coffee, think about something like the AeroPress or the Clever Dripper that they also sell. That's a fantastic combination. It's a little bit like an immersion brew, so your, your French press or your cafetiere, that then turns into a pour over. Gives you a really rich cup of coffee without that kind of dark, silty bitterness that you often get with a French press. Again, thank you very much for listening. We've got some more shows coming up over the next few weeks that are going to be looking at runners, 
um, the kind of beginning, starting off a running and asking lots of questions. So hopefully we've got an interview coming up with that later. We've got a few interviews in relation to around things like Swift Racing and using things like Watt Prime and various metrics. So really interesting things that hopefully will find not only add into your training, but also start addressing potentially some of the, the myths that are out there in terms of training methodologies. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.